When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. With each mortgage-free home, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation delivers on its promise to do good and never forget the sacrifices America's greatest heroes have made for us. Heroes that put their lives on the line for all of us, risking their lives for our country and our communities. These heroes need your help now more than ever. Help America's heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? Mr. Shaka Cummings, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, welcome to F in Sports, the podcast with two teachers, great sports, biggest issues, Mr. Ainsworth. How are you doing on this fine Sunday, almost afternoon, sir? <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. It's full-on springtime here in Dallas, so it's sunny and nice, and it's middle of March madness, and the NBA trade deadline's behind us, and the Rockets won twice in the last week. It's a good hey. week. What are, you, <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing? Listen, the Knicks beat the Bucks last night. I am on cloud nine. Let's go ahead and jump into Gold Stars and Detentions. Mr. Ainsworth, I'm going to Gold Star myself. For great NCAA (laughs) basketball picks. I told people to get on the Houston train. They are now in the Elite Eight. I told people to get on the Loyola Chicago train. They made it to the Sweet 16. I told people Pac-12 basketball is better than you think. And now Oregon State is in the Elite Eight. I am so smart. Like Shaka smart. Who's going to Marquette, by the way? I, I don't know how you feel about that, Mr. Ainsworth. But go start me. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Ainsworth, you have your first gold star, sir. Yeah, well, if we're going to start on the March Madness thing for first gold stars, my first gold star actually does go to Kelvin Sampson um, and U of H getting to the Elite Eight. Um, he's really turned that program around in the last couple of years, if you haven't noticed. Anyway, his biggest thing was he got to Houston. He's like, huh, 
there's pretty good high school basketball here. Let's see if we can keep kids here. And that's all he's done is he's found <laughs> the three and three star kids, kids with a chip on their shoulder in the city of Houston, said we're not letting them out. And look at this, they're in the Elite Eight, while so many other Texas and Big Twelve schools are not. <laughs> dig, dig, dig. Um <laughs> Mr. Ainsworth, my next gold star goes to Francis Ngannou. Now, Mr. Ainsworth, I know that I'm the fight guy. You may know the name Francis Ngannou, but if you do <laughs> not know the name, <laughs> I was going to say, if you do not know the name Francis Ngannou, just Google Francis Ngannou versus Alistair Overeem. If you don't have a strong neck, I'm convinced Francis Ngannou would have knocked Alistair Overeem's head off. That being said, he did knock someone's head off last night. Stipe Miocic, maybe the greatest heavyweight in UFC history. Francis Ngannou KO'd him in the second round. This was his second crack at Stipe. Francis Ngannou is now your heavyweight champion. And uh, it's looking like there's going to be a super duper big fight in July between him and John Jones, who's going to make his heavyweight debut, which uh, I will be buying that pay-per-view. <laughs> Mr. Ainsworth, how about your next gold star, sir? This is not their first time in the NCAA tournament, not their first time getting fairly far in the NCAA tournament. Um, his biggest thing, though, has been he showed up in Houston after getting a second chance, right, he got in some trouble for some phone calls in Oklahoma and Indiana, which I think it bears pointing out are no longer actually illegal by NCAA standards. <laughs> um, so it's like really three different people, but all for similar like ideas, right? So people that are trying to find a way to like make the world better by using the platform they've got. Um, first of all, I want to go to uh, Mike Malone. So if you were, I guess if you were not under a rock in last week, you heard about the tragedy happening in Colorado. Mike Malone took time out of his pregame press conference to uh, pay tribute to the victims of said massacre. And this is a time when typically Mike Malone, like Mike Malone's very clearly emotional talking about it. And like, it's also a time when Mike Malone literally has a game in like an hour. And like, so, so the, the idea that he's, you know, wrestling with this and dealing with this while coaching a very good Denver Nuggets team right now, uh, they're, they're playing a lot better than the last six weeks. Shout out to him for that. Shout out to Dame Lillard for wearing a stop Asian hate sweatshirt on the bench. Um, Dame Lillard's the kind of guy that's always going to have a camera on whatever he is wearing. And so that is a very intentional move out of a guy who is, Frankly, if as long as he's coming back as soon as they think he is, maybe in the MVP conversation. Uh, so shout out to Dame Lillard for that. And then the last but not least, I want to shout out Sacramento Kings Twitter and whatever intern slash person on the totem pole is working their Twitter account, who yesterday afternoon is going to record on, on uh, Sunday, so on Saturday afternoon, just listed a whole bunch of things from the official Sacramento Kings Twitter account about how to respect and support those who identify as non-binary with a bunch of resources and links and just good commentary on like ways to, again, respect people that maybe identify a little bit differently than you or I do. And, and it's just a good like message to get put out. And it's the first time I've seen that kind of a thing from a pro sports account. No, absolutely. Um, I will say that that feels like the first time I've seen it from a male professional sports account. I feel like I've seen like this is where the WNBA takes the lead on certain things. Uh, that being said, my final gold star, Mr. Ainsworth, is to you people, you followers. We are over 1,000 Twitter followers. Um, I wish I had a lame sound effect to celebrate this. I do not. <laughs> but uh, thank everyone for following us on social media. We appreciate you. Thank you for interacting with us on social media. We appreciate you. We've hit the magic 1,000 number. Mr. Ainsworth, let's see how quickly we can get to 2,000. Let's just keep putting the goals out there. You know what I mean? That is amazing. <laughs> thank you all. We appreciate you so much. We were running the Twitter account the other day like, oh, man, we're pretty close to this. And I was like... Hey, you guys got any got any love for the count? And it was very quickly just like this like rapid countdown to a thousand. Um, I think we're actually what well, like noticeably over it now. And you know, I hope uh, top of 
following us, you're also like liking, downloading, subscribing because I hope that means you like what we had to say, <laughs> or at least like what we had to say on the internet. And if like you like what we have to say with 280 characters, you probably like what we have to say in an hour long podcast. Yeah, just give us an hour if you like 280 characters, right? <laughs> <laughs> My last goal star I was gonna throw out is really just for Najee Harris. So Najee Harris does not need to perform at the Alabama Pro Day to be drafted where he's going to be drafted. We all understand what he can do as a running back. He had a really cool Megan Rapino moment too, which is like just a cool character move out of him. I believe you gave him a gold star for that one too. Yeah, I'm clearly a big, big fan of his. But he threw the storms last week, and it, there was some pretty heavy rain and thunderstorms and tornado watch at one point here in Dallas. Uh, everyone's okay, but his, his plane was grounded. He was not allowed to, fl- to fly from Dallas to Alabama. And so he just got in a rental car and went and he just drove all night to be there by the nine o'clock pro day the next morning without playing in it. He was not going to perform (laughs) in the pro day. He just went to go support his teammates who were. And so while I might call that crazy, some people call that loyal. And I think that's worth the gold star. No, absolutely. And I think that it probably is going to, someone's going to say football character and take him in the first round. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, I want to jump into detentions. And my first detention goes to me for my picks in the (laughs) NCAA tournament, because in every single bracket, pool that I am in, I'm last. I'm not close to the bottom. I'm at (laughs) the bottom. I had Illinois getting to the final four. They ran into Loyola Chicago. So my my picks just conflicted there. And then um, I I very much believed in Colorado basketball. And they went out in the uh, round of 32. Unfortunately, McKinley Wright did not <laughs> live up to what I was expecting in that particular game. But um, yeah, my I still have three of my four Final Four teams. I'm hoping for a big run here. Okay, just keep no. bragging. That's fine. I don't have feelings <laughs> or emotions or anything. <laughs> um, my first attention goes to the 2-3 zone. Again, we recorded on Sunday <laughs> afternoon, morning-ish time. And last night, if you did not stay up to watch it, the 2-3 zone failed yet again. Now, I... First of all, I want to point out that when I am coaching and I am undersized or slow or what is normally some combination of both, I obviously (laughs) run a 2-3 zone. But at high levels of basketball, when you have access to all the best recruits in the country, running a 2-3 zone... It's just it's just for cowards. It's just I just don't get it. <laughs> there are so many other man oriented defensive coverages that are more successful than a two three zone. And a two three zone is at the end of the day, the easiest way to beat it is by shooting. It's really easy to generate open three point jump shots against a two three zone. And so you're kind of admitting that if it's that easy to do, you're just hoping they miss a bunch of times. I just I'm I'm very anti two three zone unless you're undersized and under athletic like some of my teams have been. And I understand like <laughs> using it then, but man, when you're a big time school, Syracuse, and you've got all these resources and recruits, it just doesn't make much sense to me. Listen, Syracuse is an 11 seed that makes it to the Sweet 16. Like their 2-3 zone worked based on the talent that they have, to be fair. I also am a proponent of the 2-3 zone. I grew up in New York. That's all we played was 2-3 matchup. <laughs> like this is all I played. Um, no, I, I understand your sentiments, uh, Mr. Angel. I was actually watching a Kentucky high school basketball game and they uh, went to uh, 2-3 zone and the team started hitting threes. And I'm like, switch the man, switch the man. Go man to man. Speaking of defense, uh, my next attention goes to Draymond Green. Not because he can't play defense. I think that Draymond Green's one of the best defenders in the NBA. Uh, but he thinks he's the greatest defender of all time. And so you get a detention, sir, because I have seen <laughs> uh, better defenders than you. Draymond is a defensive star in this league. You should really leave it up to other people 
to talk about your greatness versus you talking about your own. It's ridiculous. You're not. Dennis Rodman, dude. Dennis Rodman. <laughs> That's it. I'm, and I didn't even go to Bill Russell. I just went Dennis Rodman. So thank you. I will say that, well, it's one thing to detention a guy, and I probably agree, for like giving himself his own accolades while he is still playing out into the open like that. Um, I thought his clap back at Tony Allen was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Say, saying... My run of championships, plural, started when we stopped covering you. Is got to be the best. <laughs> I've ever seen. Um, but my detention is going to go to you. Say a guy giving himself credit. I, I my detention is going to go to a guy giving someone else too much credit, which is in a weird backwards way actually giving himself credit. That's Magic Johnson for saying that Lonzo Ball <laughs> has the best basketball IQ. I believe was the word of any point guard in the NBA. Because not only is that just flat wrong, he's not even. Really, if you watch the Pelicans right now, he's not even really the point guard on that team. Like They've unleashed a whole different level of offense with Point Zion and him spotting up and shooting, and he's shooting the ball very well. Lonzo's playing very well. I don't mean to say that it's not, but he's not really the point anymore as he is off-ball. It's clearly just this backward way for Magic, though, to point out that he made the right pick with the number two overall <laughs> pick of Lonzo Ball way back, as opposed to having gotten Jason Tatum at number three. Like he, he does, he wants to cover up this idea that he made the wrong pick by you know promoting Lonzo Ball as the smartest guy in the NBA. And Lonzo Ball is a very good basketball player. I just want to point out that this is Magic Johnson trying to help himself out, not really helping Lonzo out because now everyone's got a target on Lonzo's back. <laughs> I will say. Two things. One, um, Magic didn't say he had the highest IQ. Magic said no one has a higher IQ, which is different, right? Because maybe he would say that there are other people that are equally as smart. But I, I do think that there's a lot to your sentiment. Like, it does feel self-serving to say that. Um, the second thing is, how did the Knicks not get this kid? Um, we, need, <laughs> we, we need that point guard help. Um, friends, we have a great podcast. We'll talk Miami Heat. And whether or not they won the NBA trade deadline. We'll talk the Miami Dolphins. And whether or not they were smart in terms of trading their first round pick. And then we'll talk a hockey referees. So that's non-Miami. But that's fine. We'll talk about referees in sport and whether or not they all need microphones. So, without further ado, Mr. Ainsworth. Are you ready to go, sir? Ready when you are, Shaka. Mr. Ainsworth. NBA trade deadline. It's the most wonderful time of the year for NBA basketball fans, especially if your team could potentially do a trade to get them in it, like the Knicks, who didn't. Um, Houston's not even close, so it doesn't matter for them. Um, the, the thesis reads, the Miami Heat won the NBA trade deadline. I say that to you, Mr. Ainsworth, and you're going to grade that a... C-. minus. Okay. Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, I almost wanted to go D, but I'm going to go C minus. What do you think, Mr. Cummings? Okay. I'm going to go F, so this is not going to be great for us. Like <laughs> <laughs> Friends, when I proposed this possible thesis statement to my partner in crime, Parker Ainsworth, I honestly thought he would be higher than a C minus on this. We are both down on the Miami Heat winning the trade deadline. Talk to me about <laughs> that, Mr. Ainsworth. Um, I think my deal is that, first of all, I've gotten a fairly up-close look at Vicola Depot in Houston in the last couple months, and i got to say, one, he's playing somewhere between half and two-thirds of the games. Two, he's not the same. He just doesn't move in the same way he did when he was the All-Star two or three years ago, and that's very understandable, right? He's had several more <laughs> body injuries since then. It's so my, my perspective, Mr. Ainsworth, is that you have not gotten a very close look at Victor Oladipo. He hasn't played enough for you to get a close look at <laughs> no, him. No, I know what he's looked to have on your team. He's, on, he's been on the camera a lot, just not on the court. <laughs> um, and then I also look at this like he's a consistent jump shooter that doesn't attack the rim and shoots, you know, very mediocre percentages. And then I, I, I go back to, he. I've said this on previous podcasts, he gets 
in Houston felt like a lot of empty stats. Like they'd be down 30 and he'd crank out 15 points or they, you know, they lost by 50 to Memphis. And I was like, Oh, Victor Oladipo had 28 points. Like they lost by 50. Like (laughs) I don't care. Um, And so can Miami heat culture bring him back? Absolutely. Did they have to give up much to get him? I know we recorded on a Sunday and like last night, Saturday night, Kelly Olenek played really well for Houston, but realistically, they didn't give up that much rotationally to get him. And I get those concepts as far as the winners, but I also see several other bigger winners across the NBA. I look at Denver, I think they won. I look at the Clippers, I think there's an outcome here where they win. The biggest winner here, though, has to be Magic City, because (laughs) returning to the great city of Atlanta is... Lemon pepper. <laughs> so I don't think, unless Victor Oladipo has a big time, you know, comeback that I don't see coming, that it's really going to be the Miami Heat. No, um, I want to go more NBA in terms of my take, but man, yeah, Magic City. Uh, shout out Lemon Pepper Chicken Wings. Um, <laughs> I felt this, and my take on this is no one did enough to knock out the favorites in my mind. Like, the thing that will prevent the Lakers from going to the finals are the injuries to Davis and James, right? If, if, right. if their guys come back, the Lakers are going to the finals. That's what I firmly believe. Anthony Davis is healthy. LeBron James is healthy. No one can beat them. I don't think that Rajon Rondo provides enough to the Clippers. I don't think that Denver has enough. So that's my take. So then I look at the East. And I look at the teams of the favorites in the East. If Victor Oladipo is Victor Oladipo from a couple of years ago in Indiana before he got hurt going into the playoffs, like that Indiana team looked like it could do some things, then okay, Miami, they were in the finals last year. And they didn't really give up a ton to get him. Um, Kelly Olenek, rotational player. Avery Bradley, you could live without Avery Bradley, right? Especially if you're getting Victor Oladipo and the fact that they have shooters. They don't need Avery Bradley in Miami. Well, and he hadn't hadn't suited up in a while. He played early in the season. He hadn't suited up in a while, though. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, Avery Bradley felt redundant when you have Tyler Hero and Kendrick Nunn. Um, so they, they don't, they didn't need him. Oladipo is a, is an upgrade, right? If he can play. That being said, this is a tough take to have now. I don't know if they're better than the Bucks. And the reason why that's a tough take is because the Knicks beat the Bucks yesterday. So I'm like, I don't, the Bucks hey, just. That's, that's playoff bound New York Knicks. Hey, listen, you don't got to <laughs> tell me. Um, but the Bucks also <laughs> lost to Boston the night before. So it's like, it's, it's crazy where the Bucks are. It just feels like they went on a little run there. And now are they coming down to earth? Is it, I don't know. Um, uh, but Brooklyn. Brooklyn, the best trade in the NBA this season is Brooklyn getting James Harden. I think that's unquestioned. And Brooklyn didn't have to make another trade to acquire two former All-Stars and add them to their roster. All they had to do was wait for them dudes to be released. They were patient enough to wait for Blake Griffin to be released. We did our whole podcast take on that. They were patient enough now to wait for the Marcus Aldridge to be released. And now he's going to Brooklyn as well. And... I don't know what those guys offer Brooklyn on a regular basis. As I said to you off pod, Mr. Ainsworth, if either one of them guys help Brooklyn to win a playoff game, that's awesome. LaMarcus Aldridge just has to have a key game in the second round, and that was worth it, right? Blake Griffin right. just had to have a couple of key games in the playoffs, and it's worth it for them. So I don't know that any team 
is better than the favorite. So I'm like, I don't know that anybody really won it. And I really, really wanted the Knicks to get Lonzo Ball. But maybe we're waiting till the offseason because we know that New Orleans is going to release him. And so we're showing the restraint that we did not show with Carmelo Anthony, which I guess I should be happy about that. But I'm just not. I don't know. <laughs> I I look at the East, too, and think the needle didn't move much out East. I look at Brooklyn and Marcus Aldridge, which I don't know how much he'll play there. Um, I I look at his skill set and feel like he's going to need to do like his own thing with a second unit in a lot of ways. I do think he and Kyrie complement each other better than he and James complement each other or better than he and – I say he and Durant, but the truth is Durant fits in every system ever built in basketball. <laughs> um, so I, I guess I see him doing those kinds of bench things. I see Blake filling the same dunker spot role that they've got Claxton and DeAndre filling. So I see that there, but again, there's some redundancies. But when those guys are buyout guys, you're getting them on the cheap. And I will say that if buyouts qualify, Brooklyn, you could also argue when it's a trade deadline for getting a couple guys like that on the cheap because there will be that first-round game when they're really just trying to win this in four or five games and get some rest before the next series and whatnot. And LaMarcus breaks out for you know, 22 points off the bench. You're like, whoa, where'd that come from? I was like, oh, no, he's the Marcus Aldridge, right? Um, and so I guess that could qualify there. I think the needle did move more out west. Um, I Obviously, I would agree that if the Lakers are fully healthy and they're ready to go, no one's beating them. However, I do think that Aaron Gordon brings more to Denver and that playoff Rondo, if you were to play the same way, brings more to the Clippers than Old Depot brings to Miami. Um, I, I wrote a whole piece about the Clippers adding a guard. I thought they may add an Oladipo um, or a Lowry or a Scary Terry, um, but somebody, I even said that they should get Houston to buy out John Wall so they can sign John Wall. But the, the truth is, is that they, when they get a guard playmaker, they offers more versatility to their offense, right? Because like, there are some redundancies as you cover them in covering Kawhi and covering George, right? Because of the like, their size and like Kawhi is more of a block short corner player and Paul George is more of a top of the key three pointer player. But like at the end of the day, they're both being covered by a six, six to six, eight wing guy. And so when they run a pick and roll for the two of them, it's just a switch. Whereas when you have a point guard running it with them, a la Rondo, all of a sudden one of those guys gets a mismatch or there's some sort of communication has to happen. And that is when a point guard can take advantage. Right. Um, and so I think that there's potential there. I also look at what Denver did with Aaron Gordon, and the biggest loss to Denver has been losing Jeremy Grant in the offseason. I think there's potential for Aaron Gordon to be a better replacement there. Obviously, a little bit more expensive replacement, but a better replacement there because you know he can do the back cut four stuff off of Jokic. He can run a small ball five when you have point Jokic, but you don't lose size on the other end because you still have a seven-footer out there in Jokic. Um, and then, you know, there's this idea that Aaron Gordon is like been around a long time. We remember the dunk contest with Levine and so, Levine and so on. He's only 25. Like if you can sign <laughs> this guy for a long time, like he's another guy that's really in the same age bracket as Jokic and Murray. Like it's weird to think about because I feel like I've watched those guys play a lot less time. And so I think of them as younger, but they're really all the same age. And that's an interesting dynamic in building your team. So two things, as you were eloquently speaking, I agree with almost every sentiment that you made. The one sentiment that I will push back on is uh, pick and roll Rondo. Because pick and roll Rondo, he still can't shoot. So um, there are things that you can do in the pick and roll if he's in the pick and roll with George or with Kawhi Leonard that I actually think could make some things a little bit easier for you because you don't have to respect 
his ability to step back. Like you just have to respect him. He's going to try to drive and dish, right? So you can play off of him in a way that maybe makes a pick and roll a little less effective. I don't know. As someone who notoriously played pick and rolls bad in high school, I could be totally <laughs> wrong on that. Um, the other thing that I will push back on a little bit is that I, while I don't think anyone moved the needle enough to go after the favorites in the East, I do think the Bulls moved the needle. Getting Nikola Vucevic, that's going to pay long-term dividends for them. It may not be that the Bulls this year challenge for the Eastern Conference, but what we're seeing out of Zach Levine, the Bulls really didn't have to give up their I, what I think are their two key young guys. I understand that people like Wendell Carter, right? So I get that. But I like Colby White, right? I like... Lori Markinen. Now you got Vucevic added to that with Zach Levine. Um, I don't know. I feel like the Bulls move the needle for themselves, even though they're not going to necessarily, in my opinion, challenge for the Eastern Conference this year. One of the other teams that I think did a great job was Philly picking up George Hill. Now, I understand that George Hill coming into Philadelphia like people look at that team and they're, they they may feel like there's a semblance of redundancy there because Ben Simmons is really kind of the playmaker facilitator. And it's not George, George Hill is going to need the ball potentially. And you can't play Ben Simmons off the ball because he's not a shooter. Right. So now what are you doing there? Um, this is the whole reason why the fit with uh, Embiid. Right. But what I like about George Hill is veteran experience, incredibly gritty and tough teams that he is on improve. When you get into the postseason, he's not a dude whose teams flop in the postseason. So like having him join this squad to say, hey, when we get in some of these tough situations in the second round, it's likely that Philadelphia will have a first round matchup that for them is favorable. The second round matchup is going to be the Bucks or the Heat in all likelihood, right? It's going to be someone who you're going to have to grind that series out against. And to have a George Hill be in that situation to say, here's how we need to respond I think that that's a good thing for them because they have Doc Rivers as a coach who can help them with that. And now they have George Hill as a player on the court who can echo some of those sentiments that Doc Rivers has. So I, I do think that getting George Hill is a good move for Philly. And I do think that it helps them to move the needle in a way. They, they needed this dude. They needed this dude who's a grinder for this postseason run that they're hoping to make. I would say that those two teams in the East really did move the needle for themselves and definitively got better. I just don't think that they're going to catch the, the real teams in the East. And I say that saying that Philly is a real team in the East, right? But I, I still think that Philly would struggle to beat yeah. Brooklyn in a seven-game series. No, I would agree. I look at George Hill. So George Hill has actually shot the ball, shot the three very well on low attempts across his career, right? He's actually a high-career three-point shooter at 38%, but he's never shot more than four, four of them a game. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out as far as space in the floor goes. But, and I see, you know, them adding him as a insurance policy. It sounds like Toronto slash Tampa was asking for a lot for Lowry. And so like, well, we can go get this guy much cheaper. Totally get the move. But I'm like you. I just don't know that necessarily vaulted them from that pack at the top of the East to the favorite. And so I don't know that that moves the needle. I agree that adding Vooch helps. And I think that they may, you know, give someone trouble in that first round playoff series or whatever. But if they're in the bottom half of the playoff bracket... I don't know that Vooch on his own, I don't know that that helps them move out of the first round. Me, 
I still think Kobe White's like prototype player is a Lou Williams, not just because we were talking about the Clippers, but because <laughs> I see him being able to like really create with a second group and, and those kinds of things. And I think they need a starting caliber or starter caliber point guard or someone else to take Levine off the ball some and not so Levine doesn't have to do all the ball handling. And they were in talks for Lonzo Ball, and then they didn't get that right. And so if they'd gotten Lonzo, we may be talking more about the needle moving. I understand why New Orleans didn't get rid of Lonzo. I was on record in the midweek mid-range last Wednesday being like, I don't understand why they would move Lonzo. He's playing very, very well, like ride it out. But I, I guess that's the deal. Is like It's not that I don't like those moves as much as I don't see it changing the outcome of their seasons. No, I... I think that moving Lonzo could have made sense for New Orleans because you got to think about the contract piece that's coming, right? Like you, you got to make the decision about whether or not you're going to pay this dude, right? And so I, I get it. And they, I get that they could also control him, I believe, for one more year before you really have to think about the contract piece. So I, I, I understood New Orleans moving Lonzo. Something that was um, on my brain, Mr. Ainsworth, and I'm curious as to your thoughts about this. So J.J. Reddick got moved to the Mavs, Right. And it's not like New Orleans got a ton back for him. They got James Johnson, Wesley Awanda, and a second-round pick. Why, if you're Philly, don't you get J.J. to come back? Because he feels like the floor spacer, right? And it feels like you could have done the deal for George Hill and still found a way to get J.J. Redick if he was available. Now, I understand that Redick, I don't believe he's played a game yet with the Mavs because he's dealing with some injury stuff, but... If you're the Sixers, you don't need him to play right now because you're getting him to space the floor in the playoffs. And imagine having him on the floor to help space it for Embiid, to help space it for Ben Simmons. He was there before. Maybe he was there before. Maybe that's the issue. But I say that to you, Mr. Ainsworth. What's what's your thought there? Yeah, well, he was there before, but it was very different management, right? Because now they have Maury, now they have Doc, right? Um, and he and Doc know each other from Orlando days. I, I think that my bigger thing is, Again, we are not in the rooms. We're not the kind of guys that have insider access to these teams. But every tweet from Shans, Woj, Haynes, Stein made it sound like J.J. was going to get bought out. And then all of a sudden he got traded, like at, at the <laughs> end of the deadline. And so if I'm Philly, I kind of understand, like, not offering a lot in a trade if you think there's a chance he's bought out in a couple hours, right? Like, just logistically, like, why am I going to trade you something when I can get him on the cheap in, like, three hours? Shams, Woj, Stein is, like, the best law firm ever. I would love I would love to get an internship <laughs> there. Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we, we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it <laughs> helps keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast. 
your face. All right, Mr. Cummings. Now, this is a South Beach-friendly podcast, apparently, because now we're going to talk <laughs> about the Miami Dolphins. Uh, the Miami Dolphins made headlines this week with a big blockbuster trade with San Francisco 49ers. And my thesis for you is... The Miami Dolphins made the right move trading down and securing Tua's spot at quarterback. You hear that and you think I think B and I'm I'm pretty high on this for uh, a couple of reasons, but I'll go into them in a segment. I am curious though, Mr. Ainsworth, because I think that you love Tua. I think that you were kind of secretly hoping that Tua got traded to Houston for Deshaun Watson. Um, I don't think that Deshaun Watson is getting traded out of Houston <laughs> so anymore. anymore. Um, so I'm curious <laughs> as to your grade, sir. Um, I appreciate what they did. And so I'm going to give this like a high B, maybe even a B plus. All right, Mr. Cummings. Now, this is all happening right behind your New York Jets in the draft. I think it's worth pointing out. And so... <laughs> For some reason, no one offered all this stuff to the New York Jets, uh, even though it's a pick ahead. So what do you think about what Miami's doing and their trading of the draft pick and moving back and getting future picks and so on? Are you a fan, not a fan? Explain what you're thinking. Let me just say that what it feels like from a Jet fan perspective is that people realize that the Jets aren't trading that pick because the Jets have locked in on someone who they want, which it feels like is probably a quarterback, which I feel like could be a mistake. But I digress. Let's talk about Miami. I gave this a B, believing that Miami feels like they've got their dude in Tua. Or even if they don't feel like they got their dude in Tua, they feel like, hey, we got the sixth pick in the draft. We can get an offensive weapon to help Tua, which I think is probably a good thing, right? Like, um, if you're going to figure out if Tua is the dude, you have to support him with weapons. And in that spot, you can get one of the receivers, right? Um, and it doesn't matter which Alabama receiver you like, because frankly, Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle could both be there. Or um, the LSU kid, Jamar or, Chase. There we go. Jamar Chase is the third receiver in that mix, right? Who feels like could be there. The the wild card is Pitts, though, the tight end out of Florida. Yeah. Who could also be there potentially. And let's say that the worst case scenario is that all those receivers are off the board unexpectedly. Oh, it looks like you have to take Panay Sewell. Like, it's all wins for Miami. Because you're gonna get someone to support Tua's development. Whether it's the left tackle or it's an offensive weapon to whom he can deliver the ball. And He's going to be healthier this year than he was last year in terms of that hip. Uh, last year, I mean, he was 6-3 and three as a starter, threw for over 1,800 yards in those nine starts, 11 touchdowns, five interceptions. Imagine if he had a stud receiver, right? Imagine if he had the right. safety valve at tight end. Like, all of these things, to me, just say, hey, listen, Tua, this is in support of you. So this feels like okay, this is going to end up working out pretty darn well for Mr. Tagovailoa. Now, uh, Mr. Ainsworth, you you were pretty high on it as well. I'm curious as to your sentiments and whether or not you actually agree. Yeah, because I watched that team last year play, and I thought they were a very strong defense that had a lack of weapons on offense, and so they would roll the dice with Fitz Magic to see if Magic would happen, right? And that was that seemed to be their offense. I also think it's just pointing out, like, Tua is so young and was coming off such a major injury with such a phony offseason in a lot of ways right that i don't know that you can actually like 
call that a normal rookie year either. And so I, I look at it the same way you're pointing out with all the weapons you can now put around him. Um, I'm seeing some mocks that happened against Jamar Chase. You couldn't go wrong with Alabama receiver. At the end of the day, they only moved back three spots. And in the top 10, you're going to have Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, some other quarterback in a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance. Or both, have, frankly. Both. Or both. You're going to have Jamar Chase, Penay Sewell. You're going to have potentially Devontae Smith. Yeah, right. You're going to have all of these guys right going in those same few picks. And so it's like you're saying, one of the options has to trickle down to the sixth pick. It's basically admitting, as I see it, that they're like, you know what? We're okay with whichever one y'all don't want. Like, they're all going to be good, and we're just going to take one. And what it really also gives them is, with a young quarterback and then a young offensive weapon or lineman or whoever, they also get a first-round pick next year and a first-round pick the year after to continue doing the same thing. I, I think that, that that makes it a win to me. Um, the only thing I will say is that, like, if that pick turns into one of these quarterbacks that ends up balling out in the same way that Kyler replaced Josh Rosen in Arizona, we could all feel very silly about it, right? Like that was very clearly an upgrade for them and they did move on from Rosen very quickly and get better. And like, so I guess we could all say that, that feels silly. And that's why I gave it the B plus wiggle room. It's not quite an A, but man, it feels like this is an option to really make your team better and build around Tua over the next few years. And I think Tua has earned, based on what he did at Alabama and what he did when he given was given the opportunities last year, a chance to do that. I, and again, their defense was solid. This is all going to be for offensive moves. Yeah, I will say that the difference with the Kyler Murray situation is that Arizona had the one. They had the number one pick, right? right? Versus the Dolphins still at number three, while being in a great spot, would be relying on folks not drafting other guys in terms of a quarterback. Because frankly, if they liked, if they looked at this draft and like Trevor Lawrence, that's it. Okay, well, he's gone. He's going at one. Right. So if that's the one quarterback you would have taken over Tua, then you might as well get out of that spot, see what you can get. And let me say this, Mr. Ainsworth, what is the worst case scenario on draft day for Miami? To me, the worst case scenario would be Trevor Lawrence going one, and it was all smoke about these quarterbacks. So now the receivers go. So uh, Smith goes, Chase goes, Waddle goes, Pitts goes. That still leaves Panay Sewell, right? right? There's there's no bad scenario for them. Even let's say that there is some sort of a crazy scenario where they've decided that there's a receiver who they don't like. Maybe they don't like Jalen Waddle. Let's let's put that out there. He was the dude who was injured. Let's say that that's not someone who they like, right? Which would be crazy because Tua totally starred with that dude a couple years ago. Right. But let's just say. So now let's say that. The quarterbacks don't go. So now Chase goes, uh, uh, Devontae Smith goes, uh, Pitts goes, Sewell goes, and now you're stuck at six. Well, guess what? You can still trade down because the quarterbacks are now still there. So any of their worst-case scenarios involves them either getting an offensive weapon to support Tua or trading down and getting more picks because someone's going to want a quarterback, and so they're going to want to trade up to get ahead of the teams who might exactly. also be looking for a quarterback. This feels like such a no-brainer, and... All that Miami did was pick up picks to do this. They picked up a first-round pick next year and a first-round pick the year after that to go from three to six because uh, they they went to 12 originally and they traded back up to six. This feels like all wins for them. I'm curious, though, Mr. Ainsworth, with all the pieces that happened around this trade, like, do you feel like anyone 
lost? Like, I mean, San Francisco and Philly are also involved kind of in these trade scenarios. Do you feel like San Francisco was smart to go up to three? Do you feel like Philly was crazy to go down to 12? I'm curious as to what you think about what they did in this deal. So, I mean, San Francisco can publicly say that they're not going to take a quarterback, but you don't make this kind of trade if you're not, right? And I think the other thing that is worth pointing about San Francisco is in saying that, they're really just adding value to Garoppolo by saying, like, we could run the table with Garoppolo if we need to. They clearly got to the Super Bowl with him, but you make the trade for quarterback. I was kind of trying to figure out what I thought about San Francisco's side of this, and then I saw a tweet from Mike Tannenbaum pointed out that over the last 10 years, quarterbacks that were traded up for in the top three picks include Robert Griffin, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Mitch Trubisky, and Sam Darnold. Now, Griffin did have an injury that changed the like trajectory of his career. But man, I don't know if in hindsight any of those guys are <laughs> worth the draft capital. There's not a that lot of gold just, jackets in them names, man. <laughs> right. I don't know if any of those guys were... They each had a good showing here and there. Um, I'm not as out on Donald as some people are. He needs a better situation, though. Trubisky was a pro bowler as a rookie and has not been since. Uh, Goff, they got to the Super Bowl, but it certainly looks more like that was about the people around him than him. Carson Wentz has a Super Bowl ring, but not from one he played in, right? Like, these are over and over. These are the last 10 years worth of, you know, the league being what it is since the rookie wage scale. Um, and I think that's why you look at the last 10 years or the last 50, right? Those guys haven't necessarily worked out. And so that seems to be a cautionary tale if you're the Niners and moving all of this trade capital to get into the top three picks and get one of these four quarterbacks. It's like, ooh, if you don't get the first pick, is it really worth it? <laughs> it's right? interesting, like, too, because all of those guys who you just mentioned are either not on the team that drafted them, so the team that did all the trading to go get them, they're no longer with those teams, or they're trying to get rid of the dude, right? Because I right. do think that the Jets are actively looking for the right deal to ship Darno. They just haven't found it yet especially if they take Zach Wilson at two, right? It would make sense. So I I am, imagine we see Jimmy Garoppolo move between now and draft day, um, if not shortly thereafter. I, I also imagine we see Darnold move between now and draft day, if, if this were that thesis. But I just, I have a hard time looking at this and thinking San Francisco wins because of what they gave up to go get what looks like, if looking at Tannenbaum's version of recent history, could be a flop, Right. Um, that said, the Niners are very good and were very talented in spite of mediocre quarterback play out of Garoppolo a couple, just a couple years ago. Do they need someone who can just manage the game? And can you find that guy and change this little history that Tannenbaum's pointing out? Potentially, sure. Um, it just feels like giving up a lot to do it, especially when you're currently paying a quarterback a lot of money. And it's not like they've gotten a lot of calls to get him right now. Right, like, well, I, they, I bet you they got a call from a Boston area code, though. Like, I bet you, <laughs> I bet you, New England's interested. But that's the problem: is that New England's probably interested. And you know how Bill Belichick is. Bill Belichick is the dude at the yard sale who you put a two hundred dollar price tag on that chair, and you felt like you're giving someone a deal, and he's like, "I'll give you seventy five bucks." And it's like, you you get out of here now, sir. I'm done with you. Like, I can only imagine Bill Belichick calling uh, San Francisco and saying. Yeah, look, I, I got a six-round draft pick for Jimmy. What do you guys think about that? I think shut up. <laughs> like, that's what I think about that. I'm imagining that that's what's probably going on there. It would be interesting, though, Mr. Ainsworth, if they traded up to say, we want to actually support Jimmy and go get our pick of receivers because we think the Jets are taking Zach Wilson. And so we just want to make sure that we get the number one receiver. Like, what if they're doing that? That could be interesting. I don't think they are. I think you only make that deal for a quarterback. So I... 
I would say if that's the case, then they gave up way too much for a receiver. <laughs> when they were really at 12, because at 12, they still could have gotten on a lot of these mocks. I'm looking at, like, Jalen Waddell's still around. Like, yeah, but if that's not your dude, right? Like, if, they, if they're saying, listen, Chase is the guy. Right, it just. But you're right. You you don't do that. You don't give up that much to go get but a receiver. You just you sign a dude up, in free agency. You just sign Galladay or something. You could have realistically just moved up to six with the Eagles, then, right? Because the Eagles had to flip stuff to go from twelve to six. And so, if you were sitting at six, you could have flipped stuff with just the Eagles and not given up all the stuff to Miami. Unless you have your guy, right? Like, and again, I'm. I don't. I agree with you. I don't think this is happening. But if they're saying no, we need the first receiver pick because we want to make sure we get our guy. Even if you go to six, a rec- their receivers going off the board before six, right? Like we agree on that. I would imagine. Um, if you're if, saying if I have not, to get my guy, if there are not receivers off the board before six, that would mean four quarterbacks and. Sewell which listen Sean could Slater. that could happen uh, though so right realistically that is six potential guys that are off the board that are not receivers before six and that's and then i'm assuming you're counting kyle pitts in your receiver because he's a yeah 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 i'm right. counting him i'm yeah the, the, your scenario would be the one scenario where at six you get your pick of receiver because it's gonna be the four qbs would go and then panay Sewell right, would be the one non-receiver who goes in there, um, which I, I think we both agree. Like, we're putting all this out there. We don't believe any of that. My, I, we believe that Miami traded out because they want to keep Tua. They believe that he's better than any quarterback they could have gotten. And San Francisco traded up because they've identified a quarterback who they want to go get, and they want to make sure they could get him, which is interesting because I would imagine if you do that, you know Trevor Lawrence is going. You must have faith in who the Jets are going to take because you can't do that thinking we've identified our guy and then the Jets take your guy because then you're sick, right? So they must um, – again, I don't know why the Jets are taking this quarterback, but this is not the thesis. Mr. Ainsworth, I am curious as to your take with Philly, though, because Philly goes down. Philly's now at 12, which means they're going to go with your guy, right? Jalen's the dude in Philly now, right? I mean, they, they, they're not going to take – a quarterback to challenge Jalen Hurts at 12, I wouldn't think, because that would be like Mac Jones. They played together a lot less at Alabama, but Hurts and Waddell also played together at Alabama, is worth pointing out. I I think that I would look at that 12 pick and say, obviously Waddell is being slotted there in a lot of mocks. Um, If you're still looking at other pass catchers and he's not there, I've seen Devontae Smith further back. So again, if those guys are both gone, who's falling back? Does that mean like Patrick Sertan somehow fell to you at twelve, or, or you know, like then I think you just are going best available at that point because Philadelphia's got a lot of holes and could use all of them. And again, we talked about last week with them in the NFC East and how that's the worst division of football. So like <laughs> they don't need a whole lot, right? Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, for our final segment, you know there's nothing I'd rather talk about than referees. I'm literally going to write my memoirs, and there'll be an entire chapter called I Hate Referees. That being said, (laughs) uh, the thesis statement reads, the professional sports leagues should mic all officials to ensure the integrity of the game. I say that to you, Mr. Ainsworth. How are you going to grade that thesis statement? I'm going to go with an A. Um, I... I mean, anyway, I w- I'm going to stick with an A to start. Um, you may be able to talk to me differently, but I think it's a good idea. What do you think? I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Mr. Ainsworth. So off pod, friends, Mr. Ainsworth was so concerned that we were going to agree on everything. I'm failing this. I can't believe you're going A. I can't wait to hear your crazy reasoning, sir. <laughs> 
Okay, friends, you had to wait three segments for me and Mr. Ainsworth to yell at each other, but I'm sure it was worth it. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth <laughs> and I are going to talk about the thesis statement, the Professional Sports League should mic all officials to ensure the integrity of the game. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth went A, I went F. Before we get into why Mr. Ainsworth is giving that bad, bad grade, let me talk about what happened. Uh, Tim Peel, he is a, well, he was an NHL official. He was fired. The NHL said, you're done. And the reason why he was fired is because uh, there was a game between the Nashville Predators and the Detroit Red Wings, and Tim Peel is mic'd during this game. Or the televisions are mic'd <laughs> during this game. He goes over to explain that he's called a tripping penalty uh, against Nashville and uh, Victor Arvidsson. And so he goes over there and basically says, no, it, there wasn't much there, but I wanted to give a penalty against Nashville early. And it's like, huh, really? The mics picked that up. The mics were hot. They picked that up. And the NHL's like, that's crazy. Like, there's nothing more important than the integrity of our game. Uh, this is uh, NHL Senior Executive Vice President Colin Campbell. There's nothing more important than ensuring the integrity of our game. Tim Peel's conduct is in direct contradiction to the adherence to that cornerstone principle that we demand of our officials and that our fans, players, and coaches and all those associated with the game expect and deserve. Uh, there's no jurisdiction for his comments, no matter what the context or his intention. And the National Hockey League will take any and all steps necessary to protect the integrity of the game. That included firing Tim Peel, who, oh, by the way, he was going to retire anyway. Like he, it, it had been known that this was, he was only in this for the short term uh, anyway. That being said, Mr. Ainsworth, with all of that kind of being the background, you went A with miking all the officials thinking that that's going to help the integrity. So talk to me about that, sir. I guess my thought here is that, frankly, we put mics on players and coaches every game too. My big thing is that I don't necessarily think that we as fans need to have access to the audio from all of these mics, but I sure think it's something for the league to have access to because <laughs> at any point in a hockey, football, or basketball league, baseball as well, I guess, I guess, but baseball, it's every day, not at any point. There are, you know, 12 to 16 games happening at one time, right? And so the idea that the league can monitor and figure out what all is happening everywhere is ludicrous. I also think it's worth pointing out that we have had sketchy referees in the leagues <laughs> in the past. I, I know a basketball guy, and I'm not a hockey guy. Um, I knew out, Tim Donahue was coming up. I knew he was coming up. Shout out to Kyle Hall. If you want a hockey guy, he's a great hockey guy with belly up. He's a New York Rangers guy, but go listen to the Broadway hat. Um, I, I just I look at this and be like, man, if we'd had mics in on some of the conversations Donahue's having on the floor – that would kind of maybe explain some of those weird fouls at the end of that Kings-Lakers series, right? Like, what could we have understood earlier? I also think it's worth that these people are human, and in the human element of this, much like how you and I coach when we go back and watch game film and we stop and say, hey, what were you thinking here? Right? <laughs> I think that... Our kids can't answer that. Our kids are high school kids with not developed prefrontal lobes. They never know what the heck they were no, thinking. No, we still ask. We still ask because the thought process is important, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the conversation would be the same with the leagues and their officials. It'd be sitting down with the head of officiating in the NFL or the NHL or the MLB or the NBA and saying, sitting down and saying, okay, what were you thinking here? But the ability to mic adds another element of growth there. It, it hopefully leads to better referees and better umpires and better officials. And I think that that's important. I think that it's worth figuring out how to do this better before we get to a world where it's all robots anyway. I think it's how can we make this 
how can we make this better? Because I don't want the all robot world. I would like this idea of the human element where a call is different in a clutch time moment because you anticipate a little more physicality or whatever, right? Versus a call being different on the perimeter versus by the basket because you anticipate a little bit more physicality or on the interior of the offensive and defensive lines, you have, you know, in the crease versus out at mid, uh, mid ice or whatever it may be. I think that those kinds of calls all require not having a robot do it. I appreciate the way the human element navigates those calls, but we need the best human element possible. And if that means we mic up the officials to do it, I think that's the way to go. I, I don't know that that's so crazy. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think that that's going to happen. Like, I don't think that that helps the human element. Incidentally, it's center ice. So uh, for all our hockey friends out there, I know there's center I ice. Said but... I, don't, I said I don't know. That, <laughs> <laughs> um, but let me say this for strange words. So uh, a couple of pieces that I think are worthwhile to consider to counter the points that you've made. Uh, number one, I don't know that you need to mic the officials to pull them in and ask them, hey, what were you thinking here? Frankly, if the officials are mic'd and you have to come back and ask them what they were thinking there, then why are they mic'd in the first place? Like, mic them so that they explain what they were thinking there in the situation. And if they're not going to do that, then don't mic them. Because if you have to call them in anyway, then why is the microphone there? Like, in my, from my perspective, the microphone is there to catch comments like this one from Tim Peel, where he's basically saying, Hey, listen, I'm just putting this penalty out there. Like, I don't even think that there was much there, but I'm just throwing it out there. And the reality is, is that if you mic the officials, they're never going to say stuff like that, right? The reason why Tim Peel said that is because he didn't think a mic would catch it. But he, what he didn't realize is that all mics are hot. So when you go over to the scoring table, right, and you say that, there's a mic there. And so that mic wasn't intended to pick up the comment that he made. So what you need are more Mike's position to pick up unintentional comments. Like, that's actually what you would need, right? Because if, if you Mike the officials, they're just going to watch what they say. They're not going to be more, uh, you're not going to get more clarity in terms of what they're thinking. Um, you need to require that of them, which you could do without miking the official. You could actually say to the officials, hey, listen, for every foul that you call you have to come to this spot and call your foul so that way we could hear it on the mic and then you explain why you're doing it like you could do that i guess i don't really want that um so that's why i'm giving this an f and then uh one of the sentiments that you mentioned like you you don't want robotic refs i want as much technology as possible to make sure the calls are correct what i want is a balance of the technology and the time so we just need to figure out what that is but we're never, we're never going to figure that out until we start putting more technology in the game. See, that's where I'd protest. I would think this is a balance of that technology. This is more insight, more accountability using that technology that we wouldn't have had 30 or 40 years ago, right? And this is a way to add more clarity via technology and to add more accountability via technology. I think this is finding that balance. No, I don't, I don't think that, that this is that at all. We had microphones 30, 40 years ago. We just didn't use them. Like, I mean, to me, the, the use of technology would be video technology. Like having an official who's just watching the game and watching replays of things and saying, hey, you missed that. Like, that's the use of technology that we need. And I'm not saying stop it for every call. I'm saying for the egregious stuff, right? There's no reason why the New Orleans Saints should have gotten jobbed out of participating in a Super Bowl a few years back. Because you should have someone in the box who can say, hey, don't do that. Like, look, we can, we can catch that. That's egregious. And if you mic officials, that didn't help. 
your miking of officials wouldn't have helped the New Orleans Saints a few years ago. Like, that doesn't help anything. And if you have them mic'd and you have to call them in and say, hey, what were you thinking when you didn't call this? Then what'd you mic them for? You had to call them in anyway to have them explain. So it doesn't feel like it helped that situation at all, right? I think that in increased use of technology in a smart and reasonable way helps that situation, but that's video technology, right? And that still could have the human element in it if you're using a human right, being to uh, uh, evaluate that video. On that, like on that New Orleans Saints-specific play, right, we're talking about there is a conversation amongst refs on the field, and adding a mic to it does add a level of accountability. Hold on, that's there's true. no conversation amongst the refs on that. They didn't call anything. There's only a conversation if there's a call, right? Like, I don't remember there being a time where the game stopped, the refs had a conversation and said, oh, that's not pass interference. No, you've got... They just moved got, on. You've got Peyton yelling in the sideline judge's ear, and those you can hear more Yeah, Peyton's mic'd anyway. The coaches are mic'd. That's what I'm saying. The unintentional microphones would pick that up anyway. And there's so many unintentional microphones around the stadium, you don't need to mic the refs in that scenario, no? Oh, I, I disagree. I think that the deal there is it adds a level of accountability. I don't... I, I think the other reason I'm on A here is that I don't see the negative side of this. I don't... Like, what... Like, it costs money for mics. These are... Again, we just talked about well, the NFL. Well, I'll tell you the negative TV side deal. of it because... The NHL what, just signed a, a billion dollar deal with the ESPN. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, but like, they want that billion side? dollars. You think they want that billion dollars going to some dude who has to listen to these conversations that aren't going to yield anything? Like, so you're going to pay somebody fill in the blank salary to basically listen to all these mic conversations, right? Um, you're going to pay, and it's not going to be somebody because one person can't do that. It's going to be a team of people. So I understand that everyone's got billion dollar television contracts, but the reason why you make billions of dollars is because you don't waste it on stuff like this. Like to have a team of people just go back and listen to nothing, you're not going to get anything out of it. I would argue that spending the billions of dollars in your TV contract to produce a better product even if it's from the smallest angles possible, is not a waste of money. I also don't think it has to be this like crazy outlandish different job, right? I mean, it's part of the same referee union and part of the same referee infrastructure. It doesn't have to be a whole like new arm and leg of the operation. But it does because no one's doing that now. Like so, some it's it's a new response. No one. But is, there are groups. There are people monitoring the referees and calls right now. They're yeah, but not... there's no one monitoring mic'd up referees because the referees aren't mic'd. So that's a new job. So in other words, what you're saying is, oh, just hey, add this responsibility on to what you've already been doing. Like that's that's never the right answer, in my opinion. If you're going to give someone a new responsibility, then you have to figure out, like, why do it if you're not going to do it right, right? Like, why do it and say, oh, just add this on to the thing that you're already doing? No, no. If we're going to do this then think intentionally about how you're going to do it and create the system that makes the most sense to make this effective. My deal is if you look at this and you create the system that's going to make this the most effective, it's still not going to yield anything. So what are you wasting your time for? Like put the billions it of only, dollars into the video technology, which actually could yield a better result. The video technology without the audio, I mean, like you, I don't understand how the audio hurts it. I like it's, it's really, you're going to still have people monitoring every square foot, square inch of video and like, it doesn't have to have anyway. I, I'm looking at the way that the tech room will work on this and saying that this isn't adding like a bunch of more jobs or something. It's like, frankly, a I'm not opposed to adding jobs. Jobs. It's not, <laughs> a lot of, it's not spending a lot of money that the leagues don't have to get these things right, and it's important to get these things right. I guess what I'm looking for, Mr. Ainsworth, and this is an unfair question, so I'm not asking you to come up with an answer for this right now. Uh, in my mind, I can't create the scenario where the mic'd ref helps. Because the mic'd ref, this would never happen, what happened with Tim Peel, because the refs are mic'd. Like, this actually wouldn't happen because the refs are mic'd. Tim Peel, if he had known he was mic'd, would have never said, 
I'm just going to call this penalty against Nashville early because I wanted to get something in there. Like, he would never say that if he's mic'd, right? So I can't think of the scenario where the mic'd ref helps. And I can think of numerous scenarios where increased use of video technology helps. So put your energies there versus the audio technology. That's not arguing against miking as much as it's arguing to also have this other thing. No, 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 no. I'm arguing against miking. I'm saying take the money that you to put on the mics and put it on the video. Like, I'm saying just... don't waste your money on the mics because that's not going to help. There's no effective. If you're going to spend money on the audio pieces, increase the uh, anonymous areas where you have audio so folks don't know that they could be picked up. That's still that's still spending money on audio. Yeah, but it's not miking the refs. If you mic the refs, you're not going to get anything. If you but put mics, are you opposed in, to spending money on audio or not? Because that's still spending money. That's on the audio. thesis statement. Doesn't ask, are you opposed to spending money on audio? The so thesis the statement asks, are you willing the, to pay the money? What you're drawing here is about where you put the audio piece. Absolutely, because that's what the thesis statement the same, is. <laughs> but the same thing that's happening is you're. I'm saying put those audio pieces on the ref. Sure, that's a great place to put them. And you're saying put them around the rink. If that guy knows there's a bunch of hot mics around the rink, he's still functioning the same way. It still detracts from this happening. Like, oh, yeah? I, Except that this dude knew that there were hot mics all over the rink and still said something. But you're adding them, so you're putting even more. Yeah. This dude doesn't know where they are. This dude's going to go have the conversation in the corner that he thinks is safe and doesn't know if there's a mic there. That's what happened here in this scenario, Mr. Ainsworth. If Tim Peel had a mic on him, you would not have gotten this comment. The reason why you got this comment is because Tim Peel didn't know where the mic was and he didn't know it was hot. So if you're saying, hey, in order to achieve the objective of increasing integrity in our game by catching conversations in a way that is more real so that folks don't know that their conversation could be picked up, that you need anonymous microphones. You don't need them on the person because if they're on the person, they're not going to talk. This is why the FBI doesn't put the microphones in places where the mob can see them. They put them in places where the mob doesn't know that they are, right? Yeah, the, the FBI also doesn't announce the mob. They're putting mics in their house. The, you're, they're going to have to, <laughs> this is a thing that's collectively bargained. The mics will be, that'll be broadcast that they're put all over the rink. Whatever. You've never seen an episode of The Sopranos, obviously. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> Friends, that is another edition of FN Sports. And it ended with us yelling at each other. So that's awesome. I know everyone got what they wanted. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, I am sure, wants Mr. Cummings to go out there and say that he has, in fact, seen an episode of The Sopranos. Um, <laughs> Mr. Ainsworth, do you want to tell everyone about your Sopranos knowledge as you tell them about our social, sir? Um, I guess you can find us to talk Sopranos, although we usually talk sports on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter. My personal stuff is at Painsworth512, P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512, all in word, on Twitter and Instagram. We also have a show Twitter page that's at FN Sports 2 F-I-N-S-P-O-R-T-S, the number two, all one word. I use dash P-A, he'll use dash C-C, although we'll, we can both talk about The Sopranos. Uh, Mr. Cummings, <laughs> we also have an Instagram. We do, Parker Walnuts. We do have an Instagram. You can find <laughs> me on Instagram, at Shocker Cummings, at C-H-A-K-A-C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S. That's also my Twitter. Our show Instagram is at F underscore N underscore sports. Uh, before we wrap, Mr. Ainsworth, you want to tell folks about what's going on on Midweek Midrange this week, sir? Yeah, so last week we... 
we go live on Wednesday nights, every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock Eastern. On, you can find us on Twitter or YouTube live, and then obviously the video store on YouTube after the fact. You can find us on Twitter at Midweek Midrange or at, on Instagram at Midweek Midrange. Uh, but last week we were trying to do a trade deadline piece Wednesday night with the trade deadline being the next day, and we're really hoping broke news broke during the show. It did not till the next morning. <laughs> However, uh, this week we'll be, of course, wrapping up winners and losers. The trade deadline we will do a lot more in-depth look than just did Miami win or lose. We'll also talk about some buyout market stuff, uh, look at the projections. And, of course, we'll uh, it's March, so we'll look at some March Madness stuff, too. It's not just a pro show. So come. Don't be afraid to pull up. Absolutely. Final Four will be set by then, so that's going to be great conversation on Wednesday. Uh, friends, please go out, like, subscribe, share, do all the wonderful things to help out all the shows on Belly Up Sports. And please remember, when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup, so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Baker's, fresh for everyone.